Well, good morning. Happy New Year. Everybody well, dry, caffeinated? Yes. Anybody else like this dragging this morning? Yes, I know. It's like several nights in a row of late night football watching and celebrating the New Year's. I know my kids are exhausted um, staying up late. So, but um, give yourself a pat on the back because you're the real Christian, all right? Uh, the real Christians come to the early service um, today on a, ret, a wet, rainy uh, morning. So it's so good to see you. As um, Steve said, we're starting a new series called Jesus A Life. And when you think about Jesus, think about this. He is the most captivating most influential person to ever have lived on earth. He's the most discussed, most researched, most written about, most sung about person to ever um, really in the history of mankind ever be mentioned. But yet over, you know, 2,021 years roughly since he lived, there's this tension that still exists between fact and fable or faith and doubt to deception and truth, all of these different things. And what's been really interesting, you don't need me to tell you this, is that over this period of time, Jesus is one of those figures that throughout history has really, our culture has distorted or skewed the message or the purpose and even the person of Jesus. And so over time, we see different images of what Jesus looks like. We see his message has changed culturally because of what people pick and choose. We see different world religions say one thing about Jesus and this one over here say another thing about Jesus. And so as a church, man, this has been, this series has been probably about a year in the making where we just wanted to really dig in and answer the question, who is Jesus? Who is he? Central to, the, to Christianity, who is Jesus what, when we look into scripture, what is he all about? And so being a new year, 2022, we wanted to really dig our heels in and look and answer that question and journey through the life of Jesus from beginning to end. So over the next 12 weeks, really leading up to Easter, we're going to be walking through Jesus's life from start to finish and really look and answer this question, who is Jesus? And we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Luke, this great physician who interviews eyewitnesses of Jesus' ministry, his life, and writes this historical gospel known as the Gospel of Luke. And so we're going to be in this. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me uh, to Luke chapter 2. While you're doing that, um, as you walked in, you should have received one of these little postcards. And to help really our understanding and to walk through this, we want um, and create our teaching team with the leadership of Dallas, our Harrison Bridge campus pastor, created this reading plan that you'll be walking through personally reading the gospel of Luke with us in preparation for each and every Sunday and also to help talk in your small groups or discussion around uh, the dinner table with your family or with your spouse at lunch today or whatever. And we really do believe this. We we want, what well, we desire and we see that there's benefit in you individually being in the Word of God beyond just 30 minutes on a Sunday. There's only so much that we can get, and as believers, we should be digging into God's Word um, individually. And, and so we want you to be reading this. And I really encourage you, like, as God is showing you things in this, 
um, you know, email me, you know, you can Facebook message me, text me, let me know what God is showing you in this. Um, I'm going to show you this screen. If you don't really have a way to study the Bible, this is super easy. It helps me and my ADHD self. But we have a screen. It's called the HEAR method. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. Some of you have. I know some of our sm small groups do this. But um, the HEAR method is super easy. You get a journal. Read a passage of scripture on this reading plan. And then here's the acronym of what it means. H is for highlight. So in the passage that you read, highlight one verse that just really stands out to you. Some that you read, you're like, man, that's really good. That's like a really good little, little nugget of truth right there that speaks to me. Highlight that. And so in a journal, you might want to rewrite that. Um, I don't know if you write in your Bibles, but you can highlight it or underline it if you want to do that. And then um, the E is for explain. So that takes a little bit more in depth of uh, studying to explain what is happening. Give, give some context. Who's speaking? What book is it in? What's happening before and after that verse? To kind of just really give you some, don't just say, okay, like for instance, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Okay, explain. God loves me. Okay, it's not that. It's like three or four sentences of what is happening in this to kind of help paint a good contextual picture of what you're studying. So that's the E. The A is apply. You want to write down, what does that verse mean to you? How can you apply that to your life? We know that God's word is living and active. Scripture says that. And so how does it apply to your life? That, that one verse that you, you highlighted, what does that mean for you? How do you live that out? And then the R is respond. This could be simply writing out a prayer. God, help me apply this. Give me strength to do this. Uh, you open my eyes to this. It could be that. It could actually be an action step. Hey, this week I want to do X, Y, Z, whatever. This is an easy way. And as you're reading through it, man, God, this allow it to saturate in your life and not just be, oh, I'll see you next Sunday and let the preacher do his thing um, because as someone said, the preacher's boring, okay? So, um, so just you, take it for yourself and dive in and you and, and God uh, just, just work together and let him speak to you in that. It's, it's so rich. But we're going to start in Luke chapter 2 this morning. We are coming off celebrating Jesus, obviously, with Christmas. So we're not going to look at that. But we're going to look at Jesus at the age of 12 um, in chapter Luke, this incident where really it's the first time that Jesus speaks it's a time that between birth and the, approximately the age of 30, it's the only record of Jesus as a young man. And so what takes place, just to kind of give you some context of, the, of this, so culturally speaking, Jesus is born eight days later in Jewish culture, he would be circumcised, and then um, after 40 days, he would then be presented to the temple. So Mary and Joseph would travel to Jerusalem, to the temple, and dedicate Jesus before the Lord. Now, if you look at Leviticus 12, it kind of gives you some of the law and, and what they would practice there. Um, Mary giving birth was considered unclean until the 40th day, so that period would have to pass. Then when they approached the temple, they would have to come with, um, usually they'd pay like around five shekels of money, and they would bring a lamb to sacrifice. 
Uh, but what's so interesting is we know this, that Mary and Joseph weren't rich. They didn't have money. And so Leviticus underlines and says, hey, if you can't afford essentially a lamb, you can bring two turtle doves and a partridge in a pear tree. Okay, not I'll add that part. But, you know, two turtle doves. And so it really shows their poverty, that Mo- Mary and Joseph are not rich, so they show up to the temple. Jesus is about 40 or so days old, and they present him to dedicate him. Now, what is so interesting, I don't want you to miss this. Uh, I was telling our volunteer team and, and the band earlier this morning, it is really, I've read this story a lot, and it just really never stuck out to me this way. But if you look and go back earlier in chapter two, when Mary and Joseph travel to the temple and dedicate, which it's not just them. There's, you, there's probably hundreds of parents doing the same thing. There is a guy in the temple named Simeon. Now, Simeon, Scripture says, was a righteous and devout man who was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, it's interesting because at this point, the Holy Spirit hadn't fully come because we see that later in Acts. So it's really interesting that God gave him the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit, Luke points out that it was by the Spirit that spoke to Simeon and said, you will not die until you meet the Messiah. And so he's just hanging out in the temple And Mary and Joseph come up to present, dedicate Jesus, and Simeon sees him from far away, runs up to Mary and Joseph, grabs baby Jesus, puts him in his arm, and begins to worship Jesus. Now, it's a little odd. I'm just going to be honest. Could you imagine coming to church this morning? You have a one-month-old baby, and some old man comes up and grabs your child and is like, let me worship. You'd be like, stranger danger, okay? Let's just be honest. But Simeon does this. And begins to worship Jesus. Now, I say all that because what hit me in this, Scripture is very clear. It says that the only way that Simeon knew that that was Jesus was that it was the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in him that recognized Jesus. And in that, I I really do honestly believe this if you're taking notes, that when we know Jesus or knowing Jesus always leads to worship. Think about that. And so Simeon knew who Jesus was. He sees him and through the spirit meets Jesus, gathers Jesus and begins to just worship and sing in song. And is just so ecstatic about meeting the Messiah. Think about that. For hundreds and thousands of years, his people have wished upon this and dreamed and hoped on this. And so he meets him and he even proclaims, we'll, we'll look at this in just a little bit. He's like, man, I could die now. I can, I can die in peace. And so knowing Jesus leads us to worship. And really, as we embark on this, I know I'm kind of hitting some stuff before we journey into scripture this morning. But before we get into this, this is my prayer for us. That we would be so in tune to the Holy Spirit that we would know, know Jesus. Not just know of him, not just kind of just come to church and do the routine, the robotic thing of, hey, let's play church but that over the next 12 weeks that there would be this deep desire in each of us as a campus and as a church body to say, I want to know Jesus. And whether that's in your personal time, digging into scripture like never before, I honestly believe that over the next 12 weeks, many of us in this room are going to take a step of faith. 
And it might be a scary step. It might be salvation. It might be baptism. It might be, I grew up with this denomination or th this way of faith, and now I need to take a step towards Jesus, and I have no idea. That's scary. I need to do that. I need to get into a small group. I need to start to serve. I, I need to share my faith. I need to pray over my family. I need, need to lead my family. Whatever it is, I honestly believe that as we dig in and we really begin to understand and to answer the question, who is Jesus? If we do that and the Spirit is leading us, man, it's going to lead to worship. And I honestly believe as a church, when we are authentically worshiping Jesus, man, that's attractive to people who don't know Jesus. Not just a church gathering, but for us to know who Jesus is and to desire and to walk with him. So with that being said, I just want to pray for us and kind of set the stage for that. And then we'll uh, read uh, Luke 2 this morning. Let's pray together. Father, it is our desire to have a heart like Simeon. Man, he was just filled with your spirit, devoted to following you. And in that moment, your spirit showed him who the Messiah was, the Son of God. And as a response, he just worshiped right there in the middle of the temple, holding baby Jesus. And God, we know that so much more has happened since then. We see the miracles and the teaching and, and the, the, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, the explosion of the church and millions of people coming to know you. And so God, as we embark on this journey over the next 12 weeks, just really digging in to the gospel of Luke, will you open our eyes? Will you allow your spirit to live inside of us and reveal who Jesus is. Not what culture says, not what all kind of authors say, but what your word says. So will your spirit really reveal to us that? Will illuminate your word and show us how we can be in tune and just in relationship with your son Jesus in a more intimate way. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, let's pick up. We're going to read Luke chapter Two, we are going to start in verse 41. I hope that's right on the screens. It'll be on the screens. Um, starting in verse 41, we see this. So Jesus is uh, dedicated or presented at a temple, does all that. They go back uh, to Nazareth. It says that he grows in wisdom and, and favor uh, with God. Okay, and then so now we pick up verse 41. It says, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. And his parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they then returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, where have you been? I'm gonna, you're in trouble. No, he didn't say that, okay? Said, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? 
Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother, mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So a couple things here. Luke really, uh, he begins his gospel, really a foreshadow of what's going to come throughout the entire book. And so what we see now, you're going to see these underlying currents as we study and as we walk through this over the next 12 weeks, some huge points that he's really in just this, this moment. Now think about this. This is the only moment between birth and the age of 30. So it has some significance that we need to pull from and say, okay, what is he trying to say here? And I'll be honest, be totally transparent. I don't think I've ever heard anybody preach on this. And if I heard, maybe it's like a little side note in it, but I'm going to tell you, it's a challenge to look at this and say, okay, what was God trying to say? Why was Luke putting the one thing out of birth to 30? What was this? And so we're going to look and kind of draw out some things as a foreshadowing of this. The first one that we see in this and that we can really uh, begin to unfold in all of Luke is that we have hope in the humanity of Jesus. We have hope in the humanity of Jesus. Luke does a great job through his gospel. We're going to see, especially over the next few weeks, really the man who Jesus is. He is fully man. And Luke does a great job picturing this. And here's a great kind of setup. He's 12 years old. He goes to the temple. He stays behind. His parents are journeying. They're a part of the culture, Jewish culture. They're doing everything right. So we see this, this man, um, this young man, he's growing in stature. He's growing in wisdom. He's finding favor in God and with man. And here's what's really interesting in this. You know, my first instinct is like, man, Mary and Joseph were really irresponsible. Like, how do you leave your 12-year-old? Like, I have a uh, a 10 and 11 and just turned 13-year-old. And while I do want to leave him places, if you know what I'm saying, you know, I can't imagine him leaving him somewhere. But this is really what takes place. Um, If you don't know culturally, so at the Feast of Passover, um, the whole town would travel to Jerusalem for, for this feast and this celebration. And it's usually a three to four day journey. And it wouldn't just be, hey, let's just gather around, but it's the whole town. So you have all the, the relatives and acquaintances and neighbors of Nazareth. You probably have Cana, a nearby town. You probably have Capernaum coming. And they all caravan to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast of the Passover. So they get there. And what was pretty common is when Jesus was going to turn 13 in Jewish culture, you probably know this if you have Jewish friends, they would celebrate uh, a bar mitzvah. And it was culturally relevant at the time, usually in a year before, at the age of 12, they would take their soon-to-be 13-year-old to Jerusalem, show him the rope, show him the temple, show him the town to kind of prepare him for the bar mitzvah. So Jesus is traveling with them. They get to the temple. They do all the things. And it comes time to leave. Well, the caravan packs up all their stuff. They're heading back to Nazareth. And in the caravan, the women and young children were in the front of the caravan. And at the back of the caravan were the men and young men. So you can see that what ends up happening is that Mary is up front with the women and children. And she's like, well, we came here. Jesus is a young man. He's back there with his dad. Okay. And Joseph's in the back thinking, well, he's not really a man yet. 
who we haven't celebrated his bar mitzvah. So he's with the children and the women up front. And as, as it takes a couple days, they get to their first stop. They camp out. They get settled in, set up their, ta- their tents. They get around the campfire. And Mary's like, hey, Joseph, where's Jesus? He's like, I thought he was with you. And Joseph's like, you know I'm talking about parents, right? You probably have those moments. Like, uh, con- I confess, we went to Disney one time and totally left uh, Noah, our youngest, in a stroller and went on a ride. And we were in line. And then the Disney attendant's like, is this one yours? And I'm like, oh, Wow, Parent of the Year awards, you know? And um, we like just fed them lunch, and we're like, all right, everybody good? Let's go. So we just went, stood in line. No, poor Noah's eating Cheez-Its in a stroller over here, you know, seven years old. And we're standing in line. We're eating lunch. Like, this, oh, man, this ride's going to be awesome. And here comes the Disney attendant, you know? So you understand if you're a parent, you know, Mary and Joseph are like, I thought he was with you. No, I thought he was with you. They're like, oh, my goodness. And so they did have to travel a day's journey back to the temple, and they search for three days, Scripture says, and where do they find Jesus? They find Jesus, and I love this. Don't, don't miss this. He's learning and listening to the teachers. He's sitting there. Now, he's asking questions that are astonishing, that they don't have answers to, but in this moment, we really see Jesus's humanity. He's just learning, He's, he's growing physically. We know that he's growing in stature and wisdom, but he's also growing spiritually. He's asking some questions. He's asking these teachers, these great leaders in the temple of Jerusalem, hey, tell me about this. And, the, and then he's asking questions that, man, they don't, they're like, I don't really know. We're kind of astounded by what you're asking. Now think about this. If you're a parent and your kids are growing in their faith, they ask some hard questions that you have to say, I really don't know. And so here is Jesus at the age of 12, and he's growing up in this normal Jewish culture, and he's asking questions, and then mom and dad come. And so we see the humanity of Jesus. It really, Luke really affirms this. You can go throughout the scriptures. You see where he's growing. He's becoming a carpenter. He's taking on the likeness of man, all these different things. I love what uh, Paul writes in the book of Philippians. He writes this to this letter of the church. He says, talking about Jesus, that he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so we see that his humanity is something that we can hope for because Jesus, even in his 12-year-old self, is doing life like we do. It might look a little bit different, but he's he's obeying his mom and dad for the most part. He is, um, you know, learning his father's trade. That was culturally normal. He's growing and and physically and spiritually. He's probably walking and doing chores at his house. He's going and fetching water from a few miles away. He's doing all of these things, and it brings us great hope because he was born a man. Think about this. He was born a man. He lived as a man and then dies as a man. And so we see this humanity of what it is that Jesus is, and Jesus knows what it's like to be you and to be me. And this is what's so interesting, that even God, through the incarnation of Jesus, sets aside his divinity to be, become fully man and to suffer and to live in this life of what we, would, what we go through. He, he understands those things. He set aside that divinity. And now think about this. How does that apply to you and me? One, because for us to grow spiritually, 
we must submit our humanity. Think about this. For us to grow spiritually, we have to set aside and submit our, our desires, our flesh, our, our sin. We have to say, hey, I want to grow spiritually. I want to mature and walk with God and grow in my relationship with him. And so sin can't get in the way. I have to submit those things. It's not about my desires and my plans. I need to say, okay, God, what, is, what, is it, what do you have for my life? Now think about this. Jesus didn't show up and say, it's my agenda. I want to be a carpenter. I want to do this. It was, we see in this, and we're going to get to this, that he's in the temple saying, I need to be in my father's house. And so he was about God and growing in this and maturing in this. And it's this great humanity for us to look at and to say, hey, we need to be doing that. Every day, it should, and it really takes two things. It takes humility and surrender. Following Jesus takes humility and surrender. Think about that. It takes humility to say, hey, I don't have what it takes. I'm a nobody. I really need Jesus. It's not about me. I say this all the time. People who are prideful, it's really difficult for them to follow Jesus. They think they have all the answers. They think they know everything. It has to be black and white. There is no faith. It has to be all explained. It's not like that. While most of it can be explained and is historically documented, there are things that require faith. And so we have to understand that, that we have to be humble and say, I don't know everything. We also have to have an act of surrender to say, it's not about my plans. It's about God's plans. And, and Jesus was all about that in his humanity. He submitted that to God, his Father. The second thing that we see is that we have hope in the divinity of Jesus. We, see, um, ho- we have hope in that. We see his first words are, why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my Father's house? Now think about the significance of this. This is the very first words of Jesus. He said, I need, to, I need to be right here. I need to be in my father's house. And he's not talking about Joseph's house and Nazareth. He's talking about his spiritual father, God. And he's saying, I need to be right here. Why? Because I'm the son of God. Now think about it. I think this is so interesting. Mary and Joseph, they knew who Jesus was. I mean, it took two angels coming to them on separate accounts to say, hey, you're conceiving a son. I know you're a virgin, Mary, but you're going to conceive the son of God. He's going to be known as Emmanuel, God with us. Then Joseph is freaking out. An angel comes to him and says, hey, what Mary's saying is true. He's going to be the savior of the world. He's going to uh, rescue people from their sins. So they know this. They know he's the Messiah. They, they know that. They know Old Testament scripture. They know what the prophecies say. But yet in this moment, it's almost as if while they know, they still don't know. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? While, while they do know, they still don't know. Because after Jesus says this, it says, they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. Now think about this. While they knew, you have to understand the perceptions and everything that took place in this moment. So you have all these prophecies in the Old Testament. Then you get to the New Testament, and it's almost a different picture of who Jesus is. And we do this because if you think about it, we forget who Jesus is because of all that we attempt to make him. Think about this. We forget who Jesus is because of all that we attempt to make him. Now, when all the prophecies of the old come, we see in the New Testament, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Zealots, even the Jewish people, Jesus comes, it's not what they envisioned. They thought some 
political powerhouse, some military leader was going to come, kill Romans, overthrow the Roman Empire to come, say, I'm Jesus, I'm here, I'm the great Messiah. And when he didn't show up like that, what did they do? They rejected him. They said, that's not, that's not what we envisioned. That's not what we attempted to paint you know, this picture of, you came this way, so we forgot who Jesus is. We forgot the prophecies of old because we painted this picture thinking, excuse me, that he would look this way. And I think that's what's happened in our culture. Our culture paints a picture of Jesus who is all loving and there's no wrath. There's no hell. There's only heaven. It's this skewed gospel. We have churches filled with people like that. We have preachers um, that, that talk like that. We also have the other side of things, that it's like almost all truth and no love. That when I went, um, I went with some friends, we were in Atlanta with some friends over New Year's, and literally we went to uh, the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, which it was Michigan State and Pittsburgh, so I don't cheer for I just watched it, okay? And, but walking, I'm not joking, walking to Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, four people on the street, on the walk, just screaming, yelling at people, telling people they're prostitutes, and the way they dress, they're going to hell, and everybody's going to hell, you know? And I, I literally, one of these days, I'm going to do it. I just want to go up to them, and I just want to say, sir, hey, has anybody come up to you and said, man, your message is so on. I need Jesus. Can we pray right here? Like, I really want to know. Like, I'm just curious because I just feel like it's a huge turnoff because it's like, while it might be truth, and I'm, not, I'm only getting a snippet of it, while it might be truth, there is no grace and love in that message. And so we have to have a clear understanding. And so often we forget exactly who Jesus is, the Jesus presented in the Bible, because we treat God like a vending machine God, and we pick and choose what we like and don't like, and Jesus takes on a different picture. And, and the Jewish people did that. So when Jesus came, he didn't look like they, they thought, and so they rejected him. They rejected him. And so you have to think, we cannot be like that. And so in this, they didn't recognize him. Even Mary and Joseph were like, I don't understand what you're saying. And I wrote this down, and I might be the only one that gets this. We see his divinity. Because you remember, Jesus talks about, hey, I am the resurrection. I am the life. I mean, he says, I am the great I am. I am who I am. So think about this. Jesus is the great I am, not the great you wish, I wish, they wish. I mean, he is who he is. He is the son of God. He is the king of kings. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord of lords. Not just some good prophet person that lived a long time ago, man. He is the son of God, the Messiah. And then in closing, third, we see in this passage that we can have hope in the mission of Jesus. He says, I must be in my father's house. This foreshadowing that he is abiding in God. He is obeying the will of his father. He's saying, it's not about me. It's not about my preferences and my, and my take and my agenda. I want to do my father's business in this. I'm, I'm God's son, but I'm going to go after this. And ever since the very birth of Jesus, that mission is all about the salvation of man. It's all about Jesus coming to save sinners like you and me. And that was the mission. So as we see this, we see a turning point that then he goes back to Nazareth. He's submissive to his parents. He begins to kind of be an apprentice under his father, Joseph, and in this. But listen to what happens. I love this. When that creepy, I say creepy, I'm saying that. When Simeon comes and grabs Jesus and they're like, okay, what are you doing to, my, to, my, to our son? He's a month old. Listen to the words that he says. This is earlier in Luke. 
He says this, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. In layman's term, he's saying, I can die in peace. I can die now. I've met Jesus. He said, according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And he, he, he proclaims this Jesus right here is salvation for all people, Jew and Gentile, for you and for me. He is salvation. He says, I have seen salvation. That was the very mission of Jesus. Not to be a carpenter, not to just do great things and, and heal some people and perform some miracles. Ultimately, the greatest miracle was for him to die on that cross to pay the, pet, the debt for me and you and, and then to resurrect, to come and conquer death three days later so that you and I can know him and have a relationship with him. That's the mission. Not some historical document, not to put him on a piece of jewelry and get some cool tattoo, but to say, I know Jesus and I have a relationship with him because he died for me. And so my challenge to you this morning in closing as the band will come up and lead us, have you seen salvation? And when I say that, do you have a relationship with the giver of life? The very essence of why you and I should have hope and have joy. That while we see a glimpse of it as this 12-year-old, that we see ultimately this come to fruition all throughout the gospel of Luke that Jesus died for you and me to put breath in our lungs, to give us life so that we can see him and, and really understand what he is all about, what his mission is so we can be on mission for him. That all starts by seeing salvation. And if you're here this morning and maybe you've never entered into a relationship with God, I would love to talk to you. We, we do this every Sunday. I'm down in the front. We'd love to talk to you. We can go to coffee and talk about it. If you're just struggling in your walk with God, I'd be open just to talk. If you want to call this place home and you want to know more about membership or baptism, let's chat. Let's take that step of faith together. But let us know Jesus because of him coming and living a sinless life to die in our place. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful for this awesome account of seeing Jesus as a 12-year-old, is sitting amongst teachers, learning and listening and asking questions. And Father, let us, I mean, here's Jesus, the Son of God doing that. Let us not, never stop learning and asking questions. To never stop wanting to know who you are more. And let our response be like Simeon, who sees you more each and every day as we grow in our relationship with you. And let that lead us to worship. Say, I've seen salvation. I've seen the giver of life, the hope of all of man. Because the Messiah is here, Savior is here to die in my place and for my sins. And so God, as we close with this song of response, this song of worship, let our voices, our hearts, and our minds just cry out and to sing just as a prayer of thankfulness of who you are. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship together.